Um, the worship has been good this morning. I want to invite you, if you're at home regularly and you, uh, you, I don't know, you feel weird about singing along in your living room by yourself, just let it out. Pretend you're in your shower where everybody sings and just join in because I think in confessing the word, there's a unique opportunity for our mind to believe what we proclaim. There's a unique opportunity for our mind to believe what we say. Um, it, is, it is psychologically true. It is emotionally and spiritually true that your mind believes what you confess. And so in, your, in, your, in our worship times, if you are praying along, if you are singing along, if you are connecting with what's going on, it really does make an impact on who you are. Um, today I want to talk a little bit about discouragement. Talk about discouragement. Um, it's easy to cruise along through life when things are not discouraging. It's easier to move along and think, okay, good, good, good. God is blessing me when things are not discouraging. But when things get tough, things change. When you allow yourself to uh, embrace discouragement, things begin to change in your life. Um, I heard one person say that discouragement introduces a person to themselves. Discouragement introduces a person to themselves. I want to talk in this, in this little realm this morning. Um, uh, I want to talk a, about what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now, if, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, 1 Samuel is going to be about, oh, see, right about there. So what I want you to see about that is it's about a quarter of the way through the Bible. But what I want you to catch is that this guy, Samuel, is probably, he's the last great judge of Israel. He is maybe the best, the strongest, the most... Uh, the most godly, the most connected judge. At least we have the greatest record of his connection with God. He's going to compare with Elijah and Elisha in, in the miraculous things he does, in the word from God that he shares, in the leadership he provides for the kingdom. As they transition from judges to kings, it's he who stands in the gap with an arm in each place, with a hand on both bits of history. And as Saul takes over, he's his first confidant. As he leaves his role as judge and leader in Israel and hands leadership off, he remains judge and prophet, and he continues that, to build that bridge between the two. So in, if you're looking through the Bible, remember the Bible is a collection of, of, of books. It's not a book. It's a collection of books. This is the book. It's a two-piece set, First and Second Samuel, and we're in First Samuel chapter 27. If you're finding that now, I just want to start with this concept. Here's a moment in the history of the life of David. David is going to be the next king. He's already been anointed as that king. He already knows that's the goal God has set for him. Saul knows that as well. And as a despot on his throne, desperate to carry his line forward, he tries to eliminate this one who would take his place. He chases him around the countryside. And, and, in, and in chapter 24, we have this moment, this sort of classic experience with the character or nature of David when he is in a cave hiding with his men. Got to be a big cave. He has a lot of men. He's hiding in the back of this cave when Saul comes in. The Bible doesn't, doesn't cut us any slack here. Saul comes in to relieve himself. Kings just don't go to the bathroom out in the open. He goes in to, to privately take care of business. And while he is in there, David sneaks up behind him, cuts off a piece of his robe so that he can prove that he has been present with him and that he can prove that he was close enough to do him harm. But he refuses to kill him in spite of the fact that advisors around him, friends and people around him, are calling on him to just kill him. God has delivered him into your hands. Dispatch him now. Take over the throne tomorrow. We're good. We're on with it. 
But David says, it is not mine to do. It is not mine to seize the throne. God has called me to the throne. He'll give it to me when the time is right. That's a very important piece to keep in your mind, that God moves you through things. God moves you and grows you till you are ready for things. Sometimes you know what God is leading you to, but you're not big enough to hold it yet. A a gift given to you too soon can be a curse in your life. Think about handing the keys to your cars over to to a five-year-old. You can say, yeah, this is the gift. This is what's going to happen. You're eventually going to drive the car, so I'm giving you the keys at five. Go to the grocery store. Go buy some toys at at a a, a toy store. Have Have a good time. A gift given before its time, before maturity allows for that gift, can become a curse. And so David is waiting for God to deliver the gift. He's not wanting to take the gift. So he refuses to kill Saul. Two chapters later, in chapter 26, we find again, David finds out where Saul is. He's in a village. He's camped out there with his soldiers, again, seeking to kill David, to find him and kill him. He arrives in that village. He and two of his men, they walk in and they take Saul's water water bottle and Saul's staff, his water bottle, like he carried a a Yeti. No, they take his canteen and his staff and they take him and they walk away with him and he climbs up on a hill not far away and he shouts from the top of the hill to wake everybody up and the soldiers wake up and they begin to look around for where this voice is coming from. And he speaks to Saul and he speaks to Abner, his general, and he says, it is I, and I have here the king's, thro- the king's water bottle and the king's staff. I stood next to the king and could have dispatched him in a moment, but I did not do it. Saul actually blesses him when he leaves. It's amazing in this story what's going on. David is standing next to Saul, able to kill him. And David says, no, when it is time to be on the throne, God will deliver the throne to me. I will not have to take it for myself. Now we arrive at chapter 27. In chapter 27, you have a completely different David. It's like it's a different man. If you've been reading already as we've gotten started, you can see the difference in him. It starts out, and I think it's very telling how it starts out. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. God has handed Saul to him, according to everyone around him. And David has said, no, 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 I'm not taking the throne. When God is ready to give me the throne, then I'll take the throne. But he refuses to just grasp it. Instead, he trusts God. Listen to the word carefully. Instead, he trusts God to take care of him until God is ready to give him what he desires for him. If I could give you one word, if you could take away one thing from this sermon, to trust God until God is ready to give you what he desires for you. To trust God until God gives you what he desires for you. Don't get ahead of God in spite of what you see, in spite of what you know. You can be absolutely certain that God wants you to do something. And still, if you rush in and grab the keys as a five-year-old, run out to the car, start to the car, and try to drive away, you'll destroy yourself and someone else. Don't grab the gifts of God before they're handed to you. Stealing. If you are grabbing the gift of God before it is handed to you, you are stealing the gift from God. David refuses to do it. And now, here we are. One chapter later, he has just experienced these great moments in the cave and in the, in the, the, the city next, or in the, the camp of Saul. These high character, great heart 
man after God's own heart sort of representations. And now here we are. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He gives up. He said, this guy's not going to give up. He's just going to keep chasing me. I I don't know what to do. I'm sure, I'm sure that I will die at the hands of this man. David says in his own heart, David speaks to himself. There's an interesting gap here. There's an interesting picture of David that we don't find a lot. Over and over again, David stops to consult with God before he does anything. Or knows already the values of God before he acts. Here David in this moment decides in his own mind, David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. David, discouraged by being chased, discouraged by hiding out in the wilderness, discouraged by the the constant drumbeat of the pursuit, discouraged by all of the trouble he's finding himself in, finally says in his own heart, in his own heart, in his own head, I give up. I give up. I give up. If you haven't said that recently, you've said it in the past. There have been times when you've thrown your cards on the table and said, I give up, I'm walking away, I'm done, I quit. I'm not putting up with this anymore, I'm done. Here, I want you to get one very clear fact. David says in his own heart, he doesn't consult with God, he doesn't pray, he doesn't seek an understanding from a higher level, he decides in his own heart. You know what Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 says? It says the heart, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. That is so, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Your heart, my heart, our heart is deceitful and it's wicked above all things. Your heart and my heart is not telling us the truth. When we're counting on ourselves, we're not helping ourselves. When we're counting on our own understanding, we're not blessed. We're not helping. We're not seeking God. The heart under its own guidelines, lies to you. Your heart lies to you. I'm very concerned when I hear people say, well, that's my truth. No, it isn't. That's your heart lying to you. Truth stands outside of you. You don't define truth inside yourself. The Bible says your heart is messed up. It will go after the wrong things. The heart is deceitful and wicked. So don't tell me that's your truth or that's my truth. Truth is not something you and I define. It's something outside of us that God defines. Truth is something that is a value set up for us. It's a measuring line. It's a yardstick. It decides what is true. We don't decide what is true. David's heart was deceiving him. He had just been rescued by God twice. The last time, the guy who is trying to kill him blesses him on his way. Concedes that he'll take the throne. The last thing Saul says to him before he dies is, Please don't destroy my family when you become king. After that message from his enemy, discouragement grips him. You know how this works. You've experienced this. Your mind starts to consider the hard things. 
your mind starts to consider the losses. Your mind starts to consider the risks. Your mind starts to go down that dark rabbit hole of discouragement. And David decides in his heart that I will no longer identify as a follower of God. I will no longer identify as an Israelite on the run. I will no longer identify as a person whom God is caring for. I'm going to identify as a Philistine. I use that word particularly because it's a common word in our world today. People will identify as things. People will identify as lots of different things. But I just want to warn you if you're trying to identify yourself for yourself that the heart is deceitful and wicked and the heart unguarded, undirected by the Holy Spirit will lie to you, will deceive you. Your own heart will lie to you. Your own heart will deceive you. It's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. It's why God gave us the scriptures to set a yardstick to truly measure authentic, authentic things for us to understand. David is discouraged and he says in his heart, I guess I'll go over to the other side. I want you to consider what, what this brings on. David arose, went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. This, this warrior against the soldiers of the Philistines, this warrior against the enemies of God, changes sides and joins himself to the enemies themselves. Remember where Goliath was from? Do you remember the story of young David <laughs> who boldly decides he's going to go out and fight? This guy who wanders onto a battlefield uninvited. He's not a soldier. He's, he's just a delivery boy. He wanders onto the battlefield and he confronts a man named Goliath. Do you know where he's from? It's Goliath of Gath, this town where he is now headed, this king that he's now joining himself to, this is the, this is the heart of enemy territory. This is the, the, the home of the enemy champions. And David decides to join himself to them. And not only that, leaders multiply their mistakes. And David has been called to leadership of 600 men. He takes his entire group of men and leads them into the same sin. Be careful if you are a leader. Be careful if God has gifted you with influence. Because if you, loo if you use your influence in your discouragement, you will take a whole bunch of other people, people into that same mistake. He takes his 600 men and he wanders off to Gath. He takes his wife, wives, and children with him over to Gath. Everything and everyone that is associated with David has changed sides in the battle between good and evil. Has changed sides between the battle between God and the people of Canaan. David has joined the enemy. That's what discouragement will do to you. It will cause you to join the enemy. It will cause you to jump to the wrong team. You will wonder, you will wonder, you will struggle with your heart, and you will find your heart saying to you, just quit. Why are you putting up with this? Eventually, 
Saul's going to get you. You sat next to him in the middle of a cave. You had the courage to cut off the edge of his garment and then felt repentant about even doing that to him because he was the Lord's king, the Lord's anointed, the one who led Israel and he wouldn't do anything to harm Israel. You went with two of your men into his encampment, walked right up to him. One of those soldiers said, just let me kill him for you right now. I'll do it. He won't know it. He won't move. I will pin him to the ground. And David says, no. no." And they take his canteen and they take his staff so it will be completely known to all that he was right there. And they refuse to harm this man because they have set their identity. They have set their identity by God's own values. You see, a God who sees Saul in a vulnerable moment isn't asking David to dispatch him. And a man who's serving that God and waiting for God's will to be done in his life doesn't want to move past what God has said to him because he doesn't identify as David the warrior, as, as David the refugee, as David the bandit. He doesn't identify as anything but David the follower of God. And when David is submitted to the followership, when David is submitted to being a man who follows God, he's a different guy. Because every thought, every idea, every concern is weighed against truths and values that are not his own. Truths and values that belong outside himself. Measured against a yardstick that is God, not David. Measured against the heart of God, not the heart of David. David will be be called a man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean that David had God's heart. It means that God was pursued by David. It meant that David was pursuing the heart of God. He was pursuing, he was chasing after, he was following after an understanding of what it meant to lead a life by God's heart, not my own. Because, because David knew. He became aware over his life that it was his heart discouraged and broken and worried and troubled and giving up that was the problem, not the answer. So I, I I'm, tell, I'm, I'm calling this sermon, Identify Yourself. Because too much identity is pressed on us from things that are not of God. Too many of us are identifying with things that are not of God. Too many of us are using filters that are not of God. And when we weigh the desperate brokenness of someone else and the filters outside of God against the desperate brokenness of our own lives and our own hearts, we end up running off into enemy territory and serving them. It's not bad enough that David took 600 of his men to go with the Philistines. David then becomes a Philistine bandit. He moves to a city called Ziklag. We won't get into the stories around Ziklag. 
But it says that in verse 8, David and his men went up and raided the Gershites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. They had been there before Israel came. As you go to Shur, as far as the land of Egypt, he's, if you think of the Golan Heights now, if you've seen maps of Israel and the, and, uh, the territories of the, uh, in Israel today and the Palestinians today, it's the Golan Heights. It's that region around there. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, and the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish, the king of the Philistines. And Achish would say, Where have you made this raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of Jeremiah, or against the southern area of the Kenites. It is that passage that set me on this course. I couldn't understand why David, this man who was pursuing God, was now killing man, woman, child, every human being in a village just indiscriminately and robbing them. He was nothing more than a bandit, a raider. He just would go into a village, kill everybody and take their stuff. Why? Because he needed to protect his lie. He needed to protect his lie. You see, he was lying to Achish. He was never intending to stay on the side of the Philistines. And now, in fear that he would be discovered, he's killing people indiscriminately. And he's going back to Achish and saying, yeah, 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 I, 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 I attacked the people in Israel. It's funny how discouragement can make us switch sides. Switching sides can pollute our values. And when that pollution begins to, to establish its foothold in who we are, it grows deeper and deeper and deeper until we are so deceived we think it's okay to do the most heinous thing, to protect the house of cards and lies that we now live in. I have heard people say, I hate this part or that part of the Bible. I hate it when God says this or that in the text. I hate that guy in the New Testament there. I hate those words in the Old Testament there. Because it runs against what I believe. And my heart has to shut my mouth because I always want to say, that's not your yardstick. What you believe is true is nice, but what God said is true is fact. And, and if, if you're watching today and you're not a believer, I'm, I, I'll give you a pass on this one, but man, if you can discover what it means to align your life with God, you will discover peace, tranquility, and blessings you do not understand and cannot if you are living outside of that alignment. 
If, if, you're, if you're sitting there in your house today and you're, you're thinking about this and you're looking at this and you're saying, man, I don't understand that. I don't, what do you mean the Bible is the truth and that's where I really want to measure? So I'm just telling you, try it, you'll like it. Just give it a try. Try aligning yourself. Look, find the truths in Scripture. Let, let the Holy Spirit guide you. I don't care if you are the drop it and open it and look for it. God will lead you and as you align yourself with the thing God leads you to, the thing you're afraid of right now when I say this, the thing that you don't want to do that when I say this, whatever it is that just convicted you, consider that the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God calling you to truth, God calling you to alignment that will be a blessing to you. I guarantee it in your life. It will bring you things you cannot understand until you finally lean back on God and say, I trust you. I don't want to leave David here. And I don't want to leave us discouraged. Because the story isn't over there. It's a, it, <laughs> he leads an entire life after this where he does pursue the heart of God. And I, I want to talk to you if, if you found your way away or if you're struggling with that process of where you're going to be. I want to take you to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It says this, and I want, you to, I want you to listen carefully to it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now stop. At the beginning of this, I was talking about singing and praying along because your mind believes what your mouth says. If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So stop right there. The first half, one, one piece, piece one, part one. If you confess with your mouth, if you speak it, if you sing it, if you say it, if you pronounce it out loud, and I, and I know we can do this in our hearts, I know we can do this quietly, but it doesn't have the same impact. It has an impact. But there's something about hearing your own voice. When we were singing the song, we bless your name, we bless your name. We were committing ourselves to an interesting statement. We were saying, this name is important. We hold it up. We lift it up. He's saying, if we confess with our mouth, it will change things. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised Him from the dead, the last line, you will be saved. If we confess with our mouth, if we state this, we don't even have to state it to someone else. We could say it just by ourselves in the quiet of the moment. I believe, I, I confess that Jesus is Lord. Stating that Jesus is Lord is a big deal because it's just, we, we use Jesus is Lord like a phrase, like it all means one thing. It just means the name of Jesus. It's not what it says. It says Jesus is in charge. I confess with my mouth. I, I say to myself, I say it to you, I say it out loud. I believe that Jesus actually should be in charge of my life. I believe that I am not the best arbiter of what should be done. I believe that Jesus should be in charge. He should be Lord of my life. If I confess that and I mean that, if I, if I say that, my brain believes what my mouth speaks. And when I say those kinds of things, when I say those words, it changes something in me. And I, I sometimes have to do it over and over because I keep wanting to grab that lordship back. 
confess, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The apostle is saying to the Romans, you want to get a good footing for your salvation? You want to, you want to get your salvation on a good footing? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, that He is actually in charge. He is the yardstick against which you measure everything else. Identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, not a leader of Jesus, not a person out on your own, not an independent functionary. You are, in fact, a follower of Jesus. I confess with my mouth that I am following Jesus. I am, le- I am not leading. I am walking behind. I am letting Him lead. I am choosing to let His rules, His values, His pictures in Scripture define who I am. I will measure all of my decisions against that, not against myself, not against the deceitfulness of my brokenness, but against His holiness. I will surrender to His leadership. I will follow Him. If you confess that you are a follower, not His leader, if you confess that you are a follower of Christ, it will transform where you go. That will become the structure upon which everything else you decide in your life is identified. Everything else about you is identified with Christ. Not with you, not with your brokenness, not with what the culture says, not with what the president says, not what the candidate says, not what your favorite news organization says, not what your friend down the street says, not what your mama says, but what Jesus says. Because that is where the truth lies. In a world built on confusion, the truth lies in Jesus. Confessing that Jesus is Lord is like saying, I will not lead my own life. I will follow a leader who knows better than I do. Identify yourself. Identify yourself. David has a canteen in one hand and a staff in the other hand that don't belong to him. They belong to Saul. The man's heart is so sensitive to the things of God that he feels guilty about holding these two things that belong to the king. He shouts out at Abner, why didn't you protect the king? And the king wakes up and the king says, is that you, David? You see, the thing about God is when David is down there in Ziklag, doing all manner of things. God hasn't forgotten him. God hasn't begun to oppose him. God knows he's afraid. He doesn't approve of what he's doing. He says, David, you're messing up your whole testimony. People will look at you after this in a different way. They'll never trust you the same because the purity of your followership has been broken. We can reestablish you, but you'll never gain back that part of your broken reputation. David, you've ruined my reputation with the Philistines. The Philistines believe that because of the authority of me, the authority of your God in your life, you took Gath by storm and you took Goliath down. And now you've joined them and they somehow think that Dagon, their God, has has gained the upper hand over me. Their, 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 their God is just a rock, David, and now they believe in that more than they did before, before you polluted your testimony and decided to join the enemy's side. David, they're never going to get that back. 
I'll still reach out to them. The Holy Spirit will still be present for them. I will still call them to come and follow me. But David, you've, you've messed up a, a whole history of my teaching with them because you chose not to trust me. I will take you back. I will give you the throne. I will reestablish you. I will forgive all of this. But there's some things we're never going to get back now. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, and in your discouragement over the last six months or over some other thing that's going on in your life, some loss, some struggle, if in that process you've said, hey, uh, I'm eventually, I'm eventually going to take it. I'm eventually done. I know God has blessed me and taken care of me in the past. I know there are a lot of ways in which he has led me, but I don't think he's going to get me through this. If that's you right now, tell it him. He's asking you to confess his lordship again. Follow him home. There's a way home from where you are. There's no place you can go where he is not present. There's no place you can go where he doesn't know where you are. There's no place where you can go that he does not know the way home. Just identify yourself with him again. Just claim him again. Just decide you're following him again. Just get back in line behind him. He'll show you the way home. Better yet, yoke yourself together with him and he'll plow the road for you. As a believer, you have to stand up and stand in your faith. It's easy, I know it, I felt it to be discouraged, especially over the last six months. All the swarms of fallacy that fly around us all the time on every scene, every, every stage of media from every side. And it's easy to pick sides and join a team that is not God's team. But I want to challenge you to be of help to the Philistines. To be the person who lives a life above it all, not because you're superior, but because God is. To live a life outside the influences of the mess that is our world. It's always been a mess. When the economy was soaring, the, the earth was a mess. When different people were in charge, when it was quiet here and very few people lived on this portion of North America, the world was a mess. As soon as Adam and Eve strolled up to the wrong fruit stand and took a bite, it became a mess. And it will not change until all the world follows Jesus. those who don't know need you and me to get in behind Jesus walk in his footsteps and show what a blessed life looks like because we identify ourselves we've identified ourselves with Jesus
Father in heaven, thank you that David didn't get stuck there in the Philistine territory. Thank you that when when he came back, you accepted him back. When he chose to identify as a follower of yours, that you took him in your hand and you carried him on. Thank you that he could write stories of victory. That he could give encouragement, especially in song, to the rest of Israel and confess that when he followed you, he was blessed. And when he walked away from you, he was struggling. Lord, help us to join the chorus of people who have found alignment with you as the blessed path. We choose you. We choose to be identified as Christians, Christ followers. We choose to be known as people who are weird in a good way stand out for their honesty who stand out for their graciousness who stand out for loving those who love them and those who despise them who stand out because we don't live by the measuring stick of our culture and our society but we live by the yardstick of God we thank you for this day of rest we needed it. We thank you for the challenge that your word constantly presents to us to follow even closer. We pray this in Jesus' name because of the sacrifice and his desire to see us get home.